Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Christian Conspiracy Theory. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. Boy, have we got a whopper for you today, we hope. We do hope that you like and subscribe and share these broadcasts uh, on all of your social networking sites. And uh, please do leave us a comment or two if you could find it in your heart to do so, you can find uh, us on Spreaker. That's the main feed where the iTunes feed originates from, as well as the YouTube channel, which is used for backup uh, for that Spreaker account. You can also find us on Facebook, according to the Scripture page. You can also uh, find me personally, Matthew Miller. Just look for the one that is in Reader, North Dakota. Yes, Aaron and I have been placed in the reeds. <laughs> so, Brian and I uh, were talking about uh, interdimensional uh, possibilities with L.A. Marzulli as of late. This topic came up, so my son and I decided to put this topic on for size. But believe me when I say uh, your thought processes are going to be stretched to their absolute limit. We're going to talk about things here today that you've never heard in this light. And it took some explaining this afternoon for Aaron's thoughts to get down the right course and the path concerning the true nature of all, yes, Ezekiel's wheels. So, Aaron, why don't you jump on here with your initial thoughts uh, about this entire topic of uh, interdimensional beings. Uh, bring up a few instances, because when you and I started this conversation, you weren't altogether on board with there being any possibility of interdimensional layers uh, to reality. So your opening diatribe, please. Um, no, I've I've actually um, for a very long time considered that there were different uh, states of reality that the heavens were uh, another state uh, word of an alternate dimension or another plane of existence. But um, my struggle here was with that we were speaking about interdimensional beings, um, entities living in each of the different dimensions. Um, as populating them as much as humans do Earth. Um, I struggle with it. Uh, to be honest, I don't really enjoy going to that that depth of conspiracy, but um, I, I do find it a lot easier to believe in uh, 
extraterrestrials, like entities from other planets, I, I do find that much find that much easier because um, why why I found it that way is because the Bible always speaks of uh, the earth being God's footstool and being the center of creation. It's where it's where He will descend, and this is where He will live here on Earth um, after the last days. So uh, that being said, that's that's why I do, like I said, I do find it a lot easier to believe in interdimensional entities. So we we explored it here for the Christian conspiracy theory and. Um, so we opened up a new light. Um, first of all, uh, I once considered that uh, there were another species of entities that we don't, uh, we have not known directly. And um, they were created on the fifth day of creation, um, which I, uh, they're called the Tannin. And um, let me bring up the verse here. Um, in verse, 20 of for, um, Genesis chapter 1 and it says um, no this is verse 21 I'm sorry God created the great sea monsters and every living creature which moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good so um, this word sea monster is this wor- is a word that is tannin and um, it is the Hebrew word for dragon, and um, it's it's a component of the word Leviathan, as we know the the um, monstrous dragon creature in um, in Job chapter forty one, and these um, I once considered that maybe there was a species um, that was dominant in in the abyssal area that weren't cursed. The, they weren't bound there, but they lived there in the abyss as much as humans uh, inhabit the earth and as much as angels inhabit the heavens. Um, and I was just, I was just curious, curiously exploring that topic. And um, so I thought my mind has already gone there before. Um, but we once considered, but uh, recently uh, we considered that there are entities that exist. Um, within the four, at least four heavens or dimensions. And we ta- talked about this in uh, a former show and uh, about the seven heavens and um, alternate dimensions and things like that. And um, uh, upon further research, uh, some believe that there is another dimension for each of the four faces of the cherubim and um the uh, the cherubim as as we know is spoken about in Ezekiel uh chapter 1 and chapter 10 they are also called the chayoth which means um living creatures um they in fact aren't called the cherubim or cherubim until chapter 10 um i just wanted to make note of that um and um yeah i, I First of all, um, when I was exploring the concept of the cherubim, we know the four faces um, that it gives. Um, number one, the face of a man. Number two, uh, a face of a lion. Number three, the face of a of a of a calf. Also, in some places, 
curiously, a cherub, the face of a cherub, and number four, um, the face of an eagle. And uh, so I, so um, first of all, we stop and think about this. Um, would not the angels have been formed before the beasts of the earth? I mean, uh, the stars of heaven were formed on the, um, consider, we could consider that they were formed on the, uh, fourth day. And, um, that being said, the birds, i.e., the eagle, was not formed until the fifth day, and, um, the oxen and the, uh, lions weren't formed until the fifth, the sixth day. And so was man formed on that day. So, um, if these beings were formed before all the earthly creatures were, which is uh, easy to consider, um, then, then what would that mean? If you go deeper into that, into that wording in the Hebrew, um, angels are often called ish, like humans are, and it means a, a man or, um, masculine more specifically man in his in his comparison to the isha or his wife or or a woman but this word here is not yish it is adam and um adam as we know is um the one formed from clay so um should we just consider why why are these faces reflecting uh, animals and a human um, formed would have been formed after afterwards, and um, one of these faces is the face of Adam, and we know that that's the image of God. And uh, it's further. So put your two sets in here. Well, your initial thoughts. Uh, some of my thoughts are mingled in there with them, but we'll just get right to the point. When this topic came up and I first mentioned that to you, that uh, why are there four cherubim? That rabbit hole is a whole lot deeper than one might think. As a matter of fact, it might might be as deep as an Einstein-Rosen bridge itself, what is commonly referred to as a wormhole. With that in mind, you take a read of the vision of not only the cherubim, but the other things associated with them, the wheels. Now, when you take a look at it in several different translations, going from English-Hebrew uh, translations and English-Greek translations, if you read it a certain way, it opens up your eyes to see something wholly and completely different. The wheel referred to there might quite possibly be the gate on one side of an Einstein-Rosen bridge, a wormhole. The two wheels may simply be one end of the wormhole and the opposite end of that wormhole. Now, with that in mind, I gave Aaron some examples of how to visualize this, and it kind of rattled his cage, because all of a sudden, 
these wheels were no longer UFOs, they were no longer objects that flew around in our space. It was actually referring to a tunnel, the two ends of a tunnel. And it's key critical to understand exactly what, uh, most notably, even though I rewarded it for Aaron, what the Thompson translation of the Septuagint states, because it states something very important there, ladies and gentlemen. When you look down a straw, or when you look down a scope, make no mistakes. Just because you have a scope on your rifle doesn't mean you can hit the broadside of a barn. As a matter of fact, all depending on how far you are from the intended target, you could literally miss it by a literal mile. Now, sometimes I get too complicated and too technical, but I'll let Aaron explain this in such a way that I was able to relay it to him. And once you see it, it may open your mind to possibilities none of you have ever considered before. Because I searched this topic for a week, making sure that the event horizon for this information was right here on Christian Conspiracy Theory. So, Aaron, can you give us um, your explanation of what the... Thompson translation of the Septuagint help you to see? Okay, so um, this is the uh, Thompson's translation for Ezekiel uh, chapter 10, verses 10 to 11. And as for their appearance, that is of the cherubim, the four had one in the same likeness, as if there was a wheel within a wheel. Then when they ran, they ran on four sections. They altered not their position when they ran, for which way soever the foremost looked, they ran and altered not their position when they ran. So, um, as you just mentioned, like a scope or a straw, um, you, so you take, for instance, um, like a straw, if you were to put it up to your eye and you look to look right through it, you would see two circles. The first circle you would see was the brim of the straw that's pointed to your eye, right? The one that's closest to your eye. That's the one you, and you're looking down. Then you can see another circle, and that's at the other the other end of that straw, right? That's what you um, that's where you see out. Okay, so um, as you pointed out to me, you can um, when you're you have to do that with a scope. You have to um, find the end that's pointed straight to your eye and then the other end in order to find your exact target you have to put that one on the other end the circle on the other end in the middle of the circle on your end because if you move uh, this is hard to explain um, if you move the other end any other way than in the middle, you're going to go off, far off. Like you said, with uh, it could go as far as a mile, depend on how, depending on how your, far your target is away. So um, it would be much easier to explain if you all had a straw or a scope here to look down. But um, this is the best way I can describe it. Um, now consider how this uh, 
this passage says, um, they altered not their position when they ran, for which way soever the foremost looked, they ran and altered not their position. So, um, one of the cherubim was, uh, has a view of the other one. Say one cherubim is the, is, is one side of the tube. And the other one is another is the other side of the tube. So this cherub looks directly at the other one, and it and as in correlation to that other one, neither of these alter their position when they move, because those are all because the other circle is always in the middle of the circle pointed to you. That that's. Sounds extremely confusing, but I don't know how else to explain it without, uh, you all would have to pick up a straw or a scope or something like that, or just a tube, and look down it just like I explained to you, and maybe you could understand. I will use the phraseology that I used to explain it to you before I got a piece of paper and draw it for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it said that they ran their four directions. No one understands what is being meant here. If you look down that straw, you can move around the other end and relocate the wheel at the opposite end of that straw. You can move it around so it's not in the center. What he's referring to here, the four directions, north, south, east, and west, he means that you must keep the distances around the wheel at the far end of the tube in exactly the center of the wheel closest to your eye. That's the only way you can hit any target, is that the further wheel must be exactly on the left, on the right, on the top and the bottom, must be equal distance between the far circle and the near circle, or the far wheel and the closer wheel. You take note, ladies and gentlemen, that Ezekiel saw four of these Einstein-Rosen bridges. All four cherubim would have therefore had to come from a different locality and their spirits went through the wormhole to get to this conversation. The Lord their God, did he call these four cherubim from four different dimensions? They come through the Einstein-Rosen wheels, which perfectly landed them at the conversation that Ezekiel and the Lord their God was having. They was there to bear witness to what God stated to Ezekiel. So all the dimensions knew exactly what God wanted done. Now this explodes the possibilities of anything you've ever thought before. Because like I said, today I re you know, I've been researching this for well over a week to make sure the event horizon for this information is right here with my son and I, when you realize that, let me read this exactly like I read it to my son, 
I'm going to reword it. So this is the authorized Matthew translation of the Septuagint. I'm going to word it in such a way that our modern listeners can realize what was being stated. Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 11 from the Thompson Septuagint. That is the basis for my translation. When they ran, let's replace that. Let's use modern language. When they moved, they moved on their four sections. They altered not their position when they moved. See, you know what positions are. North, south, east, and west. In this relation to the straw or the scope, it's top, bottom, left, right. Okay, now that you've got that thought, I'll read that part again and continue. They altered not their positions when they moved. For which way soever the wheel at the end of the tube looked, the two tubes ran moving and altered not their position when they moved. Now, if you do this on a piece of paper, draw a circle, draw a smaller circle in the middle, you realize you can do that with a straw. You can move that straw around. And this is why people that are hunters with scopes, a lot of them can't hit the broad side of a barn. Because they don't understand that the two circles must be in the middle of each other, and I told Aaron that when I was on the range, I was really getting frustrated with the instructors because they did not know how to teach their students this. I, of course, never, not even once, even in high uh, wind, 22 miles an hour at the time, I never even missed the 300-meter target. Never missed it. And this is why, because instructors were not properly instructing their students to line up this Einstein-Rosen bridge. The two gates at both ends must have equal distance between them in the middle. So when you reread Ezekiel's vision of the four cherubim and the four wheels that they moved through, you begin to realize that this opens the possibility for interdimensions. This creates a window of opportunity that the earth really is the footstool of God. There are more than one dimensions. These are referred to biblically as heavens. But they are much like an onion. Let me put it this way. You don't move from planet to planet. You stay on the earth. You just move to a different dimension. We call that moving to a different heaven. I asked my son to look for possibilities of such entities being evident in the Bible. And he found some things he had never considered before. I'm going to let him give his examples and speak as is appropriate to his heart. But as we share these things, before now, you've always thought that these wheels were solid objects or craft 
that the cherubim were riding in or upon or with. But ladies and gentlemen, if the wheels are in fact like I just described to you, it's no wonder that all the biblical scholars for thousands of years have been shooting way off target, prophetically speaking. So Aaron, why don't you give us some examples? Is this possible that the cherub were actually called to this meeting to bear witness and to get instruction just like Ezekiel was? but passing along to all four cherubim that rule over their respective dimension literally takes this four-squared controlled environment we're supposed to think inside and blast it to smithereens. Aaron, did you find any instances where this could be alluded to in the Bible, God's holy word. Um, well, you directed me to Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, and it says, Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. This is the NASB translation. Now, I wrote down this verse and made a possible other translation or another interpretation of it. And Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, son of a man who was of one of the living creatures, who committed many acts for Kabzeel, he slew two of Ariel of Moab, and he descended and slew the lion in the midst of the pit in the day of the snow. Uh, this is a very interesting interpretation of it. Um, I just kind of toyed around with it. Uh, it's a, um, I've heard that some have believed that um, there's a dimension for each of those faces, one for the man, one for the eagle, one for the lion, one for the for the calf, um, and um, this could give rise to the, to an entity from uh, the dimension of the lion. Um, now, now consider uh, this word. He slew two of those of Ariel. Of Moab, and I'm still having trouble interpreting this. Um, maybe it could be to say, most translations say, um, uh, with example of the KJV, it says, lion-like men. It literally means, Ariel means the lion of God. Um, and um, we know that um, Israel is equated with Ariel. Uh, often in the book of Isaiah, um, and there's one passage there in Isaiah ch chapter 29, verse 2. I will bring them distress to Ariel, and she will be a city of lamenting and mourning, 
and she will be like an Ariel to me. Um, so Jerusalem is equated with some Ariel that was lamenting and mourning. Let's also go to another verse in um, Isaiah chapter 33, verse 7. Behold, their Aralim cry in the streets, and the angels of peace weep bitterly. This is my own translation. Um, that word Aralim is Ariel, um, given a plural ending, a masculine, a masculine plural ending in Hebrew. Um, which is a very interesting consideration. And we, um, uh, it is, in Thompson's, it says uh, that Benias, he smote the two sons of Ariel, the Moabite, according to Thompson. Um, sons of Ariel. Could, could we say that these entities came from a dimension ruled by one Ariel. And this Beniah met them in Moab. And it says in that same verse, And he descended and slew the lion in the midst of the pit in the day of the snow. And um, that word, the pit, on another show I, I shared, is this is that word in Hebrew where... The fallen angels are cast. Habor, or bor. Basically, the pit of the abyss. The lowest portion. And, um, it's, that's an interesting thing to consider. It says he basically descended into the pit and slew some lion in the day of snow. Uh, however you interpret the day of the snow, I don't know. Well, let me add this, Aaron. What would happen if, in a different dimension, it was snowing, and you transgressed through the gate, through the wormhole, and the wind was blowing real hard? Let's say it was snowing. The snow would obviously, just like an open door, let's say the wind was howling, like here, Aaron. You remember how it is in January. That wind will blow, well, there were days this winter, it blew 22 miles an hour with horizontal snow. You've seen this, Aaron, with your own eyes. What would happen if you were to open a wormhole, go through, would not the snow follow you? Riddle me, Aaron, would it? I probably would. Unless, I mean, there's also to consider their could have been a vacuum type effect when you went to the other side. So it would bring snow that way too. You realize that this opens the possibility as to why the storehouses of the hail are reserved for war. What you just said, when you create a vacuum, you by default lower the temperature, Aaron. Everybody knows this. Heat is produced when molecules are moving faster and get farther apart. That's why water don't make sense. They, they cannot figure out why or how. The water molecule, when it freezes, it expands. doesn't make any sense. It's the only thing in creation that does that. Of course, we're all lucky that it works that way. 
Because if not, you realize down at the fantastic pressure at the bottom of the ocean, all the oceans would freeze instantly. But this blows apart everybody's preconceived notions about why it is that the hail, particularly the hail, is reserved for times of war. What if God was talking about Aaron was interdimensional war? Now, that being the case, we have the possibility of interdimensional mercenaries. Would God call upon creatures from the dominion of the cherub that has the face of a lion? Because in that dimension, humans would not have dominion there. Or more appropriately, what really is the differentiation between us and lions is, of course, we walk what? We walk upright. So what if in his dimension there's only, well, apes can walk up, upright, but there are no humans, there's just lions. And they walk crouched, as the Bible says. They walk on all fours. What if under special circumstances God would call upon warriors from that dimension to come help us in ours? The possibilities are mind-blowing of interdimensional mercs. Now, with that in mind, Aaron, uh, did you find anything like that? And is there anything alluded to anything like that, like uh, lions being killed or people being killed? And this may go as far as to include the real reason why Daniel was not touched by those lions. Ah, yes. In the pit. Aaron, your thoughts? Um, well, I interpreted in this um, verse... Um, that Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, son of a man of one of the Chai, who committed many acts for Kabzeel. And he slew two of Ariel in Moab. So, let me, let me, let me point out um, that word Chai, and that uh, that's a singular form of the Hebrew word Chaioth, and it means living or a living creature, and that is the word given for the cherubim in Ezekiel. And um, that's an interesting thing to point out. And this one, this uh, this man of one of the high, uh, committed many acts for Kabzeel. What if Kabzeel is an angel, and then another angel, Ariel, of another dimension, was waging war with him? And this Beniah, or one of his fathers, were sent against him. Against this Ariel and his lion men. What you just said is off the charts. It's off the rails. Ladies and gentlemen, your information train just derailed. Just derailed. And we're not done. Oh no, we're... We are not done at all. I still have much to explain that I've not even mentioned to my son yet. Now, all of this is probably really 
just blowing your mind. It's just blowing your mind, I would imagine. And here, and <clears throat> here, as you just you were just alluding to, um, Daniel six twenty four may may make some relation from, to this Benaiah, um, and it says in Daniel chapter six verse twenty four, the king gave gave orders and brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and cast them and their children and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Um, when it says they threw their children down, that is Benai home. Sounds a lot like Benaiah to me. And this, that's, uh, I'm, I'm not saying Benaiah was literally there. I'm saying it's giving us an implication. Benaiah and these lions seem to have a connection. Or perhaps, Aaron, only the lions could kill them. Now, take note that you could easily reinterpret that word there, Benaiahon, what you find in your Strong's. And look at it and understand we may very well be talking about the only thing in this dimension that could kill these interdimensional mercs was lions. Now, I know that's off the charts. That's completely off the rails, isn't it, Aaron? Looking at this in its pure form in the Hebrew, just this verse you just now read from, Daniel chapter 6, verse 24. I have taught you, Aaron, by doing my verse schematics, correct? You look at these words. You first get the Strong's number. You get the translation, then the transliteration, definition. There's a whole lot of times, Aaron, when you have to scratch your head and realize you're just guessing. Because some of these words, um, most people don't realize... That you go two or three up in the Strong's and two or three down? Oh, it's the same exact thing. They just put their little jots and tittles on it, Aaron. They have no idea how to pronounce it, and everybody knows it. That's fact. That is a fact. The jots and tittles, what you call cantillation marks, those get thrown away like garbage. That was never written. Those were added. And when you realize that, oh my goodness, the endless possibilities you have. And all the possibilities they don't want you to see, Aaron. They don't want you to see what God is speaking prophetically. That being the entire reason, I believe, he removed the Hebrew vows in the first place. Was be able to relay prophetic information. Now, with that in mind, if this thought process be true, God was calling other beings from other dimensions to be interdimensional mercs for the people of Israel in specific times, we would be left there clues exactly in the same way. Some words everybody has thoughts about, maybe they're not altogether the right ones, Aaron. Was there any special forces of the Israeli army 
in the Bible? Did you find anything out concerning them? Because really, surely they would have some type of connotation as being, I don't know, hunters or something along those lines. Or perhaps uh, mighty or great. Something there God would leave us for a clue. Did you find anything like that? Well, um, Benaiah is one of those mighty men. One of the 30 mighty men of Dan, uh, of David. Sorry. And he, um, it's interesting to find that, um, that word mighty men is actually Gaborim in Hebrew. And Gaborim, as we know from Genesis chapter 6 verse 4, is the Hebrew word for giant. Now, I, I, I want uh, to direct, uh, redirect you to, um, Genesis Chapter 10, uh, verse 8, and it says, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a gibbor on the earth. He was a, he was a gibbor hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the, the gibbor hunter before the Lord. And as uh, on, a, on a previous show I pointed out, he hunted the giants. The Septuagint translates that word, Gabor, into gigantes. And that is giant. And, um, I'm not, because we know that Cush, that Nimrod was the son of Cush, so he couldn't be an angelic, uh, and a son of an angel. Um, but, how could he become a Gibor on the earth? Um, then we consider David's Gaborim, his mighty men. And um Second Samuel chapter twenty one tells us about how the how these Gaborim slew the giants. And we know Abishai. Abishai slew um one Ishbi Benob and um and there we have that word again for man. Ish. Ish. So, there's also verbiage there that states, well, well, he was Giburum, but yet he was not one of the 30. Now you realize, Aaron, that this might explode the possibility. He was literally saying that, now he was not from this dimension. You're literally talking about interdimensional assassins. Uh, that's not where I'm going. What I'm pointing out is that um, these Gaborim, these men, slew the real Gaborim, the giants. These men were giant slayers. And they would be called Gaborim because these would be the only people who had the courage and the strength uh, from God to actually stand up against the giants. Well, son, that's what I was trying to say. You just didn't understand what I was saying. Look, ladies and gentlemen, these interdimensional assassins was brought here at the request of the Lord their God to the cherubim with the face of a lion. They came here 
and they exterminated the giants that had been created in this dimension under the authority of the cherubim with the face like a man. Now, do you understand what I meant, Aaron? It absolutely explodes the possibilities. It's mind-boggling. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no. Um, That's all I had here. Well, let's take a look at something that you haven't looked at, Aaron. I'm going to uh, direct you to another place. Go to 1 Kings, the 6th chapter, and verse 8. Get there as quickly as you can while I explain it in the KJV. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to read this. It is 1 Kings, chapter 6, verse 8. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house. And they went up with winding stairs into the middle of the chamber and out of the middle into the third. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is, of course, not speaking of any house. This is the house of the Lord thy God. This is the temple. Aaron, I want you to take a look at that in Hebrew because I see a series of Hebrew letters. I see something there with that word winding. When I take off some of the prefixes, it says something rather strange. It says, the lulim. Now, the lulim, I know that prefix. That is part of... that. This is really going to blow you away. I've taught you much about Primus Resurrectorate. I have taught you much of the one end of the rod of iron Christ will rule through. Take note, that same exact word is, of course, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. There, it is the Talulim. You call it of course, capricious sons that will rule over us in the kingdom of Christ. With this in mind, Aaron, when you take that prefix, or that root word, of course, everybody here, I'll just speak it in English instead of Hebrew, if you copy the Lamed, the Vav, the Lamed, the Yod, and the Mem, just copy that part, put it into the search engine, Hit go, and it might just blow your mind, ladies and gentlemen, if you can have eyes that can see through uh, some form of Hebrew scripture online. Aaron, what's your thoughts that it was always right there, the staircase in the kingdom of heaven, that Primus Resurrectorate would use to go up to the throne room? To get their marching orders from their brethren, Primus Numerous, as known in the scripture as the Moshiim. The possibilities herein of this always being right there in front of our face is absolutely mind-boggling. So, your thoughts, Aaron, on what you're looking at? Because I haven't given you a chance to look at this before. I mean, this was all too much information for any one person all at once. So this allows us to elaborate into a, well, a letting the listener 
be able to observe the interaction between you and I that we have on a daily basis with the Bible, God's Holy Word. So, your thoughts, Aaron? Well, I mean, this this directs us to another uh, concept of um, moving through a type wormhole, as you just mentioned, like a, uh, the Lord's uh, Christ's iron staff, one end being on the earth and one being into heaven, could be considered a type of tube, right? That's exactly correct, Aaron. That's exact. Look, have you been able to search that in your Bible? The Lamed Vav Lamed Yod Mem? Because it takes you to Revelation chapter 8. It blows this thing out of the water. It makes you wonder if the four riders are not the heads or the executioners from four different dimensions. Because there in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7, you're going to find something, ladies and gentlemen, that will rattle your cage. So, now we even have a rhyme and a reason as to the prophetic reason that God even provided us with that one single verse, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now, you can continue to break this down, and third time's usually a charm, Aaron. When you copy Lamed Vav Lamed and do a search for that, we don't have time to cover all those things, Aaron. We just don't. But take note that this is what the version of Revelation says in your tongue, ladies and gentlemen. KJV. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. You'll take note, ladies and gentlemen, if this would have been from one of the four dimensions, this cherub now makes sense. Because this angel wiped out a third of everything here. Now it begins to open up all kinds of possibilities. So, Aaron, your closing comments as we wrap these things up, so to speak, even as those stairs in God's temple winded. <laughs> so, Aaron, your closing comments, please. Well, um, we know of some other beasts, Leviathan. And behemoths are mentioned in Job chapters uh, 40 and 41. Um, possibly another monstrous species for each of the other dimensions. And I, I don't, I mean, this might not mean anything, and it comes from a fictional uh, point of view, but it's interesting to find that um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the writer points out that um, he says in his apocalypse there in Narnia that uh, there were certain monsters that were awakened for the last days to destroy Narnia. And I'm, I mean, like I said, it probably doesn't mean anything, but I find that interesting that this, um, this hail and fire, as we, we formerly were talking about, perhaps in reference to 
hail from another dimension. Well, Aaron, um, say your goodbyes, and I shall close this out. Well, it was awesome uh, studying with all you guys again, and uh, God bless y'all. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me push the envelope, the envelope just a little bit further, shall I? Ladies and gentlemen, nature abhors a vacuum above all things. Let me riddle into you Sasquatch, shall I? What if the odds must remain equal so a vacuum is not created between the dimensions? What if what you know as a Sasquatch is brought here because a man that has dominion here is sent to that dimension? So we get the representation, like I said, of an upright being, much like a gorilla or an ape, to just be here temporarily while one of the sons of men goes to his dimension. Ah, yes, wouldn't this explain a lot of, well, abduction, where nothing nefarious occurs? There's plenty, no, there's millions of those. People that claim to be taken and basically just kind of hang out and they're kept immobile on a on a type of gurney or medical bed. They're not harmed or anything and they really don't get any information. They don't give any information. It's like they're in a holding tank somewhere. Perhaps that is when one of these interdimensional assassins are sent here. The whole reason is that, well... If one of those assassins are sent, one of us have to go fill the vacuum so that it maintains a balance between the dimensions. Ah, yes. Such thoughts are off the charts. I am Matthew Miller, and I hope you enjoyed this rather unprivate conversation at the end with I and my son. You should be doing these things with your children. Because where two or three are gathered, of course he is there in your midst, and it's only then he's ever going to show you anything. But I would appreciate your your comments on the links, and please do like, share, and subscribe these broadcasts. Please uh, support our ministry according to the scripture. Christian Conspiracy Theory, signing off.